Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. Uh, How many of you know we serve a really faithful God? Like every time... We get a little anxious, a little worried. Maybe that I was probably just casting that out of me. I'll just let you know. But I feel like I feel like God's increasing our capacity to believe Him unreasonably. To believe Him unreasonably, believe God. Amen. Uh, we have been in this amazing series. You can go ahead and put that slide up, Kristen, over the summer. Uh, the Lord said, preach on presence, preach on presence, preach on presence. And so I've been preaching on that. And um, I'm like, well, Lord, we want your presence. We need your presence. We want to encounter you. But what are you actually saying? What do you want to talk about? And he just told me to kind of point at some encounters that different men and women of God have had in the, in the scriptures so that we can begin to learn some of the lessons of what he taught what the people of God in the Old Testament. When they encountered him, he did some things, right? When they encountered the presence, he did some things. And we've talked about Jacob's two encounters. We talked about Moses at the burning bush. Uh, we talked about Joshua being ready to cross into the Jordan and his encounter with the Lord there. We've got uh, Solomon. Uh, last time I preached, we talked about Solomon and how he received wisdom in an encounter with God in a dream. And then what was the fruit of the wisdom was he built the temple and the presence came in the temple. And how, how many of you know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So praise God that he fills us with his glory to where sometimes we can't stand anymore. Just like the priests of old, when he comes, he can overwhelm your senses. I like that. I enjoy that. I learned to let go of control over myself in the presence of God a long time ago. And I'm not worried if you think I'm weird. I know I'm weird, okay? All right, so today we are going to look at Gideon. And in this process, what I, what I believe God wants to, he's been teaching us some common themes that have kind of, every time we talk about an encounter with God and, and, and what happens when we're in the presence of God, uh, we've got some common themes that keep coming out. And so those similar themes will come out today, um, but we're gonna look at, at Gideon's encounter with the Lord. And just so that I can and just tell you really quickly, God's presence removes fear. God's presence removes fear. If there was a title for the message, that is it today. God's presence removes fear. And what's the scene, right? The scene is that Israel has strayed in their devotion to the Lord. They were constantly living in fear. They were worshiping false gods. And in the process of worshiping false gods, uh, the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites and the Amorites. So what they were doing, the Midianites and Amorites would come in every time they would sow a crop, the Midianites and Amorites would come and trample the ground, steal the crop, 
and leave the Israelites with nothing to the point where they're hiding in the mountains in caves. You cannot grow a harvest in a cave. That's a good word. You cannot grow a harvest in a cave. So God responds to the cries of the Israelites who are feeling overwhelmed by the situation and he sends them a prophet. The prophet reminds them that it is God who is the one who delivered them from Egypt and from all the bondages of Egypt and from all oppression. He then instructs Israel, do not fear the gods of the Amorites, but let me just say you've been disobedient. Don't fear their gods, but you've been disobedient. How many of you know sometimes God needs to correct our direction? Right? When we've been getting it wrong, he needs to set us straight. That's what God does. Right? But you know what he does is he comes in his goodness, right? How many of you know that, that Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit to do a few things? Right? To convict the world of sin and to convict his sons of righteousness. Right? So when we encounter God, he's not shaming you for your sin. He's convicting you of what is right and pointing you towards righteousness so we no longer live according to all the things that are wrong. Instead, you know, like race car drivers, when they're going around the track, if they spin out, if they look at the wall, they'll hit the wall. So they learn to look in the field while they're spinning. Keep your eye on the field, right? So, so when you're spinning out, God says, get your eye on me and you'll come to me right? Things are going wrong. Get your eye on me. You're going to come to me. And this is the correction that he's given to Israel. Hey, don't fear those gods, but you haven't had your eye on me. You've strayed in your devotion to me. So it's in that context that we see Gideon hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, threshing wheat, this is the process of beating the chaff off of the heads of grain. Taking the casing that's on the grain off of the grain so that you can actually have something edible. They're living in caves. This is a high, this is a high priority job and it's a risky one. It's a risky job to thresh the grain. Because normally you need wind to blow through, to blow the chaff off but he's in a wine press where there's no wind because he's afraid of the Midianites. Sometimes it's living from a place of fear that God encounters us with his presence. It's in the moments where we're afraid where God will show up. Don't be afraid of being afraid. Don't be afraid of being afraid. When you're afraid, this is a great opportunity to encounter the Lord for his presence to come. So I'm going to read from um, Judges uh, chapter 6. We have a lot of different kinds of fears that we deal with, right? Some of us have a fear uh, of loss over uh, our finances, we can have a fear of rejection in relationship. We can have fears of getting caught when you've done something wrong. When I was 10 years old, 
I took my older brother's BB gun, and uh, it was one of those pump-action bad boys, you know? And you're only supposed to do it like three times to get a nice shot. I'm like, mm, I'm going to go till I can't anymore, okay? I'm going to test this baby out. So I'm cranking it up, and, and I lived in Spokane on the South Hill, and there's this little rocky, wooded area kind of by our house. So I went and took the gun across the street. I'm sure my neighbors were like, hello. So, and I'm out there, and I'm shooting at things, and down the hill, kind of a ways down, is this old abandoned car. So I'm like, I'm like, ah, you know, I wonder, you know, I'm really far away. It's a really clean target. I'm like, nobody will know. In my 10-year-old thinking, which was already a little devious and hiding and creepy, like, like I was not a good 10-year-old. Okay, let's just say that. So I'm cranked this bad boy up, and I remember I couldn't get it down for the last one. So I had to set the gun down and like give all the effort and snap that thing in. I pull it up, and I aim right at the car. I'm quite a ways away, and I shoot and bash, smash the window out. Pick up the gun. I'm like, I'm out. I go running home. I put it in the thing, and I'm like, oh, no. I know, like, uh so, eh, a couple hours later, my mom gets a phone call. It's back when we had landlines. Mom gets a call, and I'm sweating. I'm like, oh, no. I'm sweating. I'm so afraid of what's about to happen to me, okay? Because I know my mother. So, I'm, I'm, like, totally afraid, and my mom's like, so, did you take the BB gun across the street and shoot out a car window? And I'm like, uh, well, I was aiming for one of the little metal pieces on the telephone pole right next to it, and it ricocheted off. Lied through my... T it ricocheted off and broke the window. She's like, really? Okay. So um, we had some corporal punishment in our house. I, I, I had been spanked multiple times. This time was really special. My mom, for some reason had this giant Bowie knife, like the big, big knife, right? I have not, so she walks in the room, I'm in the living room, scared to death of my punishment. And she walks in with this knife in her hand. And I'm like, are you gonna cut me? Like, what's happening here? You're like, what? She's like, nope, you're gonna take this knife, you're gonna cut a switch, and we're gonna, you know, you're gonna get it. And then she sat there and stared at me while she greened it. Okay, just saying. That, that's trauma for a small kid. Okay, like, okay, I'm still afraid of guns. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. But um, I'll tell you, that, that level of fear is something I was reminded of as I was preparing the message. The fear of getting caught, right? When we do something wrong, sometimes there's a fear around there. Our fears can take a lot of different forms. Okay, I got my switch. Okay, and I was probably six years before I touched the gun again, right? I was definitely afraid of it um, after that, but uh, not realizing that actually I just had to aim elsewhere <laughs> would have helped a lot. So um, let's read through Judges. Um, I, feel like, I feel like I told that story 
because some of you might be afraid that the consequence to your actions um, are going to be too hard to bear. They're not. They're not. My mother and I have a great relationship now. I didn't for about a couple months after that. God's the God that heals. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. All right. Let's read Judges chapter 6. Uh, we're going to go 11 through 24. I'm going to read fairly quickly so we can get through the points. Judges chapter 6, 11 through 24. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Verse 15. So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. That's a word. Then Gideon, then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. He's trying to figure out, okay, who's this dude? Because he's acting like God. So, <laughs> if I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out, his, pour out the broth. And pour out the broth there means cover the... Yeah, he actually poured it on top of the meat, and, and the cakes like drenched the broth, drenched all that with the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So he perceived like, ha, huh. I perceived a thing. Um, so, alas, Gideon says, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still an offer of the Abiezrites. All right. So we've been seeing this pattern in these encounters. When we have deep need, 
dissatisfaction and pain in our lives, the presence of God will show up. When we're in a place of deep need, pain, and dissatisfaction, God will show up. His presence encountered Jacob in his need, Moses in his need, Joshua in his need, Solomon's like, I need wisdom, and God shows up. God meets us where we are, not in where we think we should be. He meets us where we are, not where we think we should be. And this is a primary lesson, of course, from most of the encounters that we've looked at. God is interested in being for us what we need. He's interested in being for us what we need. He's a personal God. He's a relational God. He's interested in being for you what you need. Gideon felt the weight of the oppression of the nation and was taking a risk to be in the wine press threshing wheat. In verse 11, we see that. So one of the other things that we notice that commonly happens here is that when we meet with God, he calls out identity. He calls out the identity. Right? He says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. He does not know it's God yet. He just knows it's a person. Right? He doesn't say, oh, it's a dude with wings. This is the messenger of the Lord. Is what, you know, is, is what the word angel means, messenger. Okay? So the angel of the Lord is a messenger of God. He says there, hey, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You know, God will call out our identity. He'll say, you know what? I know it's hard, but this is who you are. I know it's hard, but this is who you are. God will take us in our brokenness. He takes us in our pain. He takes us in our place of dissatisfaction. And then he points to something and says, that's who you are. He points to something and says, this is who you are. He points somewhere we can't even see yet. He points to someone you don't know yet. But he's like, no, this is you. You're that. You don't even know who that person is yet. One thing I love is that God can handle our concerns and even our complaints. Right? Go in this might, you mighty man of valor. Well, let me tell you my complaints about God. Where's the miracles? Where's the, where's the guy? If God was with us, why is all this happening? Right? It's probably a, I would say, a justifiable complaint. Right? Because Gideon doesn't know that it's his hand that the glory is going to come through. I'm here. God's saying, I, I, I'm here, I'm with you, mighty man of valor. You can't see it yet, but this is why I'm here. Because they don't see the miracles, but they will. God, you know, I, I love this. Let's look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Okay. 
Did you hear anywhere God sending Gideon in that? It says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. There was no instruction to go. Did you hear an instruction? You're going to go defeat. He says it right here. But then he questions Gideon, like, have I not sent you? Like, don't you know that your identity is entwined with your calling? Don't you know that me giving you a new name, calling you a mighty man of valor is just as good as me sending you on a mission? Don't you know that your identity is tied to your destiny? Some of us have been afraid to hear what God says about us because we know it involves our destiny. Because we know when God says, hey, this is who I'm calling you, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm out. People just take off. Uh, call me pastor, I'm out. Call me prophet, I'm out. I definitely don't want to be one of those. Right? So we, we find ourselves often struggling with this concept of my identity and my destiny because we think they're two different things. We think that the destiny is a function or something that we do. No, it, it becomes who you are. The fruit of your destiny is born out of your identity. Right? The fruit of who you, all the things that you end up doing comes directly out of who God says you are, not who you think you are today. Because who you think you are today is probably riddled with all types of deception and wounds and issues from your past. That God's like, I'm calling you over here. Stop thinking over there. I'm calling you into this. Stop thinking like that. Our identity and our destinies are intertwined. They are inseparable. So when God calls out your identity, he's actually giving you a calling. Have I not sent you? I called you a mighty man of valor. Have I not sent you? I, said, I called you a man of war. Why aren't you fighting? Whew. I, called you have a, I called you a man of peace. Why aren't you resting in me? God reassure us, reassures us during our fears and our history. He knows it all. He'll reassure us and in that promises to go with us. Gideon gets real, right? There's this transition point right here between 14 and 15 where the messenger says, actually, verse 14 Go in this might of yours, you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Go and, and, and fulfill this mighty man of valor calling. Go and do that because I have sent you, right? Rhetorical question, have I not sent you? And now, <coughs> Gideon, now it's starting to click that this isn't just a regular person. And he says... Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest. I'm the least. And God reassures him and said, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Surely I am with you. 
Gideon, I know. I know you're from Manasseh. And I know your family's the least. And I actually, I know that you're the least in your family, but I'm with you. God will empower you despite your feelings of insignificance. God will empower you despite where you think you're at, despite your history, despite the misses that you've made. He still sees it all, and he still says, I'm with you. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. He reassures us, and he promises to go with us. Now, I love, some people say it's not good to test the Lord. Well, I disagree. I think it's really good if you're unclear to say, God, can you prove that? I don't have a problem with that at all. Okay, I think if you want to put a yoke of bondage around people's neck concerning whether or not they hear God, test it. See if you're going to hear, see, is this God? Test it. God, confirm that. Can you make sure I'm hearing you clearly? That's good. I don't have a problem if people throw a fleece on the ground. Are you sure we need to go down to 10,000 troops? Are you sure we need to go down to 300 troops? Are you sure? Are you sure, God? Because I'm not sure. God's okay with your lack of clarity. He will meet you where you're at. But if you don't ask, you won't know. So just ask. We see the Gideons getting the picture that this is more than just a man. And he says, okay, if I found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. The angel of the Lord didn't suddenly sprout wings and go, I am the angel of the Lord, you will listen to me. Okay, you want to bring an offering to me? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Bring me an offering. That's great. Go for it. I'll wait. So he goes and prepares a goat. Understand the cost of this offering. They're hiding in caves. They don't have a harvest. And he makes bread with an ephah of flour. And he kills a goat. These are precious commodities in that season. You guys see that? But he knows, Gideon knows he's dealing with something bigger than just a man. So he goes and prepares that and then uh, comes back. Gideon gave to the Lord from his desperation a gift he couldn't afford. The Lord doesn't need what we have to offer him, but he will prove who he is through what we offer. He will prove who he is through what we offer him. What you choose to give the Lord, he's going to prove who he is when you lay it at his feet. When you bring him that gift, that offering, whether it's your time, energy, money, talent, treasure, whatever that is. When you give it to the Lord, he proves who he is through the gift. Now, 
Uh, I believe that the, uh, this encounter is actually what we would call a Christophany in, um, in the theological sense. A Christophany is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus himself. Okay? We see several of these where it's a man, not an angel. Right? It's a man who receives worship. Because the angels refuse to be worshipped. They won't let you worship him. The demons love to worship. Be worshipped, I mean. The demons love to be worshipped. That's why they set up altars all over, because they're trying to be false gods. Right? But the real angels, God's angels, which outnumber the devil two to one, remember that. Okay? It was really fun the other night. Um, uh, I had an encounter where I, I had a conversation with somebody, and I could tell something demonic was happening, and I just... I just took over the situation and called out something and told the demon to leave and the person kind of woke up like they were unaware of what was happening to them, right? Because we're called to actually cast out demons. I didn't know if you knew that. It's in the Bible. So I have this, I'm telling Quinn about it because I want Quinn to know, right? Like she's like, isn't it cool that there's two angels to one demon? Like, I bet there were two angels right there. You know, like, she was just like, she just gets like, I was like, yes. So it's really interesting because in, in this moment, he receives the offering, which the other angels don't receive offerings. They will not. So we know that this is actually a picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So Gideon, there's one other reason why I think it's Jesus, but, um, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So Gideon brings his offering, he puts it down, does what, the, what, what Jesus tells him to do and pours out the bowl of broth on top and then Jesus has a staff. This is the only picture in the Old Testament of a Christophany with a shepherd's staff. It's the only one where he's holding anything. He's holding a staff. What did Israel need in that moment? We needed a shepherd who'd guard the sheep. So Jesus will show up with what we need. Takes the staff, touches the meat and the bread, and fire comes out of the rock. Consumes it. Let me, uh, let me just read verse 21. The angel of the Lord put up the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire rose out of the rock and consumed, say consumed, consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Okay. God can do whatever he wants with our offering. <laughs> He wants to consume it, he can consume it. That was food Gideon could have taken home to his family to feed them in this desperate time. That was not what happened. He took the offering, he consumed the offering. God is the supplier. When we give him an offering, we need to let God do what he wants to do with it. We can have faith and believe that God is going to do something amazing in the offering. 
You know what happened here? Is God took the offering to confirm that he was God. Sometimes you'll bring an offering and you're praying for God to bring increase to your finances and you're praying for blessings on others. And Father, we're praying for Myanmar, that God, you just pour out a blessing on Myanmar, but God, you can consume the offering. It's yours. I'm putting it and entrusting it into your hands. I'm giving it to you. So God, you have your way. Generous, joyful people get that they're not worried about the fruit because they know him. They're not worried about, am I going to get enough back? If I give, am I going to get? Yeah, God's got some principles, clearly, where he blesses the generous to bless more. It's true. He does that. But we don't set it up as if a God manipulation where if I give so much, then I'll get so much. That's not from the Lord. We must give him the offering so he can consume it. And then we know his voice. What was the fruit of this offering? The angel disappeared. Dude goes poof. Gone. Oh, okay. Great. But he said he was going to be with me. The messenger said, I, I will go with you. Well, where'd he go? Gideon. Verse 22, perceives that he was the angel of the Lord. Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, the angel's gone, the messenger's gone. How is Gideon hearing the voice of God? God's speaking to him. Likely in his mind. Not like every time Gideon went somewhere, the Lord be with you, the peace of God. You know, like, he heard the voice of God. And you know what's amazing is that this moment dialed in Gideon's ear to hear the voice of God. This moment, sometimes our offering will allow us to hear God better because it, it tunes us into his voice when he consumes it. And he's like, hey, I'm with you. I got you. I'm going to give you an unreasonable confidence that your unreasonable gift will do an unreasonable thing. All of this is unreasonable. One, our encounter with God brings unreasonable confidence in His voice. Our encounters with the presence brings an unreasonable confidence in His voice. Right, Gideon? Gideon, this whole encounter with the presence of God Gideon, number one, he recognized who he was with. He knew it was the Lord because God did a miracle. Consumed it from the rock and then went poof. <laughs> Hello. But then God affirmed and reassured Gideon of his destiny and removed his greatest fear. He assured him of his destiny and removed his greatest fear. What does God say? Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. God has no problem taking care of your fear. But he wants to do it through an encounter, not through a doctrine. The doctrines help. 
clearly. They keep us grounded. They help us understand Scripture well. But God wants us to encounter His presence so that we can hear His voice well. Why did, why did God speak to him so quickly after the encounter? God spoke because Gideon needed to hear God clearly because the next thing he hears God say, tear down the altar at your dad's house. And he's still afraid, so he does it at night instead of the day. And luckily he had a dad who was kind of smart and said, oh, you guys are mad because you tore down the altar of Baal? Well, let Baal answer for himself if he's really a big God. And then, okay, put the call out. Put the call out for the armies. So the call goes out to all the, God tells them to put the call out for the armies. All right? Then God says, okay, we got too many people. Tell them if anybody's afraid, let them go home. It goes from 32,000 to 10,000. Two-thirds, gone. Oh, yeah. God says, nope, too many. Too many. Let's go, let's go sip from the water. Let's see which one's lap like dogs and which ones have their heads up and are taking it into their hand. There's only 300 people doing that. That's the ones I want. 300? And, and when it describes the Midianites, it says that the Midianites were like the sand of the sea with their camels and all the people. They just would swarm in to where you couldn't see anything but Midianites in the valley. And he's like, What? You want to you want to go to 300? 300? What? He was able to do it because he knew the voice. He got direction because he knew the voice. They won the battle because they knew the voice. And God did miracles in the midst. So what is your fear? What are you afraid of? Now don't don't, don't be the kind of people like, oh, I don't fear nothing. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We all have things that we are afraid of, things that we really don't want to have happen. What are you most afraid of? What is your fear? For our note takers, go ahead and write it down. Here it is. Call it out, will you? Until you can actually deal with that thing honestly, it's just going to linger. Don't let it linger. Don't, don't let it just sit there in the back of your mind for the next 10 years, wishing that you would have dealt with that fear. What's your fear? Put it, just call it out. Okay, I'll give you another moment for that. Consider, what's your fear? Man, are you afraid that you're not going to leave a legacy and parents, are you afraid your kids are going to walk away from Jesus? Or maybe they have and they're never going to come back. Maybe that's a fear. We all have fears. Things that we're worried about. Now, I'm going to turn this 180 degrees. And I want you to consider who does God say you are? Who does God say you are? What is God about you? Maybe it's a simple scripture that comes to mind, like I'm a son of God or I'm a daughter of God. 
Maybe it's a personal word that you received from a friend that said, you know, like on my first date with Mika, she's like, well, what do you want to do with this? She wasn't a believer. And this is usually my date killer was to say, well, people have always said I'd be a good pastor because I usually would cut the conversation real short. People were like, check, please, I'm out, you know. And she looked at me like, well, why wouldn't you do that? And I'm like, oh, no, she's real. Yeah, Marsha was one of the ones saying, have you thought about Mika? We were, we were email flirting when Marsha walked in my mortgage office and asked me the question. You can email flirt, by the way. Yes, you can. So, who does God say you are? What has God said about you? Now I'm going to ask another question. What does that mean for your destiny? Whatever God has said about you, that's tied to your destiny. You don't have to fight for your destiny. You don't have to crawl for it. You just say, Lord, I want to be who you've called me to be, and your destiny will unfold. So who's God said you are? It's good. I see that. I see. I just saw a bunch of hamster wheels above people's heads. Figuring it out. If you're not clear, I recommend that you seek the scriptures to find out what God says about his kids. What does Jesus say about his disciples? What does Jesus say about his followers? Look at John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Okay? Read that. That will start to ground you in some of those identity pieces of what does God say about me, okay? Because this is that, a huge chunk of that is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. And you can see what Jesus says about his disciples. So if you're not clear, grab some scriptures and begin to mull over that and let the Lord speak to your spirit. Let him breathe into you your identity and who you are. If you've had people prophesy over you and declare something over you, like you're called this or you're called to be that, and this is who God says you are, write those down and hang on to it for a while and pray about it and see, God, what are you saying about that for me? Some of them just resonate in my spirit. I'm like, oh, yep, that's me. Oh, yep, 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 they got me. Others, I'm like, eh, I need to put that one on the shelf. I'm going to wait a little while. I don't have enough faith for that one yet. Ask the Lord, who do you say I am? Ask him. Take time to pray. Say, God, who do you say I am? So how do we activate all this? Well, God, what do you want me to bring as an offering? What do you want me to bring as an offering? What can I bring you as an offering? And can I just say that it might require faith, but God will reveal who he is in your offering. He will reveal who he is in your offering. 
Can I just say, whatever it is, and I'm not talking about money, it could be a lot of different things. Whatever God asks you to give, I imagine that it will be from a place of your need. And God will reveal himself to you in that. So do you remember how we started with, what's my fear? And now we've said, okay, God, who do you say I am? What does that say about my calling? And what do you want me to bring to you about it? So now, in light of who God says you are, in light of your destiny and your calling, in light of what he's wanting to partner with you in, you have to look back at your fear and tell it to sit down, this is who I am. When you get that, tell it to sit down, this is who I am. All right, will you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you can handle our fear. Whatever our fear is, God, you can handle that. Whatever is pressing on us, God, you are bigger than those situations, and you're bigger than the things that we fear. God, I thank you that you have an individual identity for each person here, that you've called them not just to be sons, but to be kings, to be priests, to be those that transform the world around them in their spheres of influence. They are not called to live small lives in a small town. They're called to be giants in the land. We declare that today you will reaffirm the calling and destiny and identity of each of your children in this room. And those watching online, you will, you will confirm and affirm their identity when you don't understand it when you have all the excuses why that can't be God just like Gideon what you call me a mighty man of valor do you see me threshing wheat in the wine press God sees it all and he still calls you he still calls you he still gives you a name he still calls you and places you and gives you a destiny based on who you are. So, Lord, will you affirm that in us? Draw us into a place to hear you well. God, I pray that as we bring to you an offering, as we bring to you the things that are in our hearts, God, whatever you put in our heart to do, Father, I pray that you would manifest your glory in it. God, that you would come with power, that you would give us an encounter with your presence through this process, and that all fear would sit down, and everyone who has been blocked and felt stuck and boxed in from their destiny, we command those doors opened in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.